Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is proudly sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. I'm working on my upcoming solo show at Miles McHenry Gallery in March, and everything is happening through Golden Paint. From the gesso, the mediums, and the paint, Golden's the best you can get. The pigments are amazing, and nothing lives up to Golden. An employee-owned company based in upstate New York. Check out their stuff at your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. You know what else is making it happen in a studio? Fulcrum Coffee. Since Fulcrum has started me on their subscription coffee program, I've been trying new coffee each week, and there hasn't been a dud so far. Really great coffee with distinct differences in each roast. It's some of the best coffee I've had. And trust me, I've had a lot. The next time you're looking for coffee, check out Seattle-based Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. You can find out more and get their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. Sound and Vision listeners get a 20% discount on their order with the code Alfred Studio when purchasing their coffee. Emmy Winter was born and grew up in Oaxaca, Mexico. She holds a BA in Visual Arts from Oberlin College and an MFA in Painting from Bard College. Her work includes painting, printmaking, and textiles, which she makes in collaboration with master artisans in Mexico and the United States. She was an artist-in-residence at the Chinati Foundation in Marfa, Texas, and Altilier Herweg in Dusseldorf. In 2011, she was awarded the Acquisition Prize for the 15th edition of the Rufino Tamayo Painting Biennial in Mexico. Her work has been shown at the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C., LACMA, High Museum in Atlanta, Parker Gallery in Los Angeles, V1 Gallery in Copenhagen, Ulterior Gallery in New York, the Main College of Art in Portland, Maine, the Suburban in Milwaukee, and is included in the collections of the Museo de Art Moderno in Mexico, the Museo Nacional de la Estampa in Mexico, the Contemporary Art Museum in Oaxaca, the McNay Art Museum in San Antonio, and the Grunwald Center for Graphic Arts at the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles. She currently lives in New Jersey and teaches bilingual art classes to Latino immigrants for the Visual Arts Center of New Jersey. Her exhibition, Afternoon Formations, is on view at Minus Space in Brooklyn through the end of July. I spoke with Emmy about growing up in Mexico, the piano, working with different approaches, travel, and much more. Here's our conversation. South Orange, New Jersey. Ah, uh, South Orange. Uh, I don't know the oranges that well, except the drive, the drive around the oranges. But my my wife's side of the family are Bergen County people. Okay. So we spend a lot of time up there. Well, it's the fir- I've been here for um, six years now. How is it? It's very nice. It's yeah. quiet. It's green. Everything grows in the garden. Jersey and tomatoes. I yeah. Grows, I hope you're growing some tomatoes back there. I am. <laughs> yeah. I sure am. And uh, it's just very nice, very, you know, friendly. And um, it, it's right next to New York. So it's it's kind of the best of both. Yeah. And you got it looks like you got some good light. Is your studio where where you're living? No, my studio is in East Orange. And I work in a building that's actually the original Johnson and Johnson factory. 
Whoa. out there. And nice. now it's full of artists. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Now, are most of those artists, I don't, well, I don't know if you did a survey of the building, are a lot of the artists sort of like ex-city people who came out and got a studio outside the city? You know, I don't actually know um, probably even half of the people that are there. Um, I can certainly say that that's the case of the about the residents of where I where I live in South Orange. It yeah. seems like everybody's moved here either from Brooklyn or Long Island. But I, in terms of the building where I'm working in the artists, I do think there. I know that a lot of the people working there are living in New Jersey, and I don't know if they're where they're from originally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so what? What drove you to move out? To New Jersey? Well, we came here from Mexico. So we moved here from Oaxaca, which is where I was born and raised. And I, oh, I didn't was, know that. Yeah, I was living there for the last, before coming here for six years. And I've really spent my adult life between Mexico and the United States. So now I'm here. Well, we got to get into that. I mean, I, yeah. don't, I, I noticed that you had an active kind of like history of, of showing work there, but I didn't realize that born and raised. So yeah. clearly when I told you about the don't prepare and you don't need to do any research or any preparations or anything that I'm doing that first day. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize that you grew up there. That's yeah. exciting. How did yeah. that happen? Well, that happened because my father's an archaeologist. So my parents moved down there in the 60s. Mm-hmm. They were in their 20s and they never left. They're still there. Um, My father has been working in the Valley of Oaxaca a lot, but also outside of the valley in the state of Oaxaca, because Oaxaca is a state, but also the capital is called Oaxaca. And so that's why they're there. And um, that's why I and my three siblings, we were all born and raised there. Now, where were they from originally? So my uh, father is originally from, uh, born in Boston, raised in Chicago, and my mother's from Ohio. Sure, that sounds like your garden variety, Midwestern (laughs) (laughs) people who just picked up and went to Mexico. Yeah, I mean, there weren't that many, there were the expats that were down there um, when I was growing up were elderly people. There weren't... um, there weren't other children of Americans. So that was a, I really grew up um, always thinking of myself as Oaxacan. Sure. Well, sounds like you were, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was. And, I am. And true, true bilingual. Mm-hmm. Are you a polyglot? Do you speak other languages? Well, I learned French when I was a teenager. And I used, I used to be very good at it, but I... Not so good anymore. I haven't practiced in a while. And then I studied Italian also and, and studied a little bit of painting in Italy. And then once when I was in, uh, got to college, I studied German. So I've been more proficient in all three of those other languages at, in the past. I really haven't had that much practice anymore. It's amazing how it can go away, right? Because I took French from junior high through first year of college, you know, yeah. and I, I felt like I was conversational and doing pretty good after all yeah. that time. And yeah. boy, it just like when I go, I can understand, but I can't, if you had, you know, I can't recall those words like to just 
converse with it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, at one point I found a paper that I had written in German for, for a class in college and I couldn't oh, wow. read it. <laughs> I couldn't even understand what I had written. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's almost it's amazing. like when you're a, a like a really young kid and you make those drawings and you just write. You know how kids are trying to write stuff, but it's all misspelled and like you can't understand what is going on there. But yeah. to the kid, it makes perfect sense. You know, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how if you, it's just like you got to keep that going or else keep you it could alive. Just, you could just lose it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But you went deep into the European languages there. That was a pretty good. Yeah, I don't even know why. I mean, I, I do remember when I was in college at choosing, I thought, oh, I'd like to learn a new language. Should I do German or Japanese? And it almost felt arbitrary, like I flipped a coin or something and started to take German lessons. But French was more, um, I, mean, I don't even know why anymore. It was kind of just maybe expected or something. Yeah. 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 We uh, I took French because our teacher was charismatic and offered Nutella and baguettes uh-huh. like once a week whereas You're the Spanish and German teachers weren't so charming uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> well that happens too I feel like with a lot of a lot of times with people I talk to to where they had an art teacher in in high school or, or grade school that turned them on to it and they were really you know like just different and more laid back or funner than the other teachers and they kind of gravitated towards that and it's amazing yeah. like when you're young you know if if like if you had a really great biology teacher you just might end up studying that because yeah, you know that sure. becomes alluring and yeah teachers well, have re- that power right they do and i mean i remember for, yeah i i i was sent to boarding school for high school and i was in austin texas and at my boarding school the two languages that were uh, taught were French and Spanish, so of course I knew Spanish. So then, I would study French inevitably. But that's how that happened. Yeah. So, like, what was childhood like? It was, um, you know, when I think back on it now, of course, I realize how unusual it was. But yeah. I certainly didn't think that when I was growing up. It was just what it was. Um, I grew up outside of the city of Oaxaca in um, uh, in a village. My parents built a house out in the country, and it was uh, you know when it rained, the whole road would get washed out. So we had to park up several blocks up by the local church and put on rain boots and walk through the mud down to the house. Um, I didn't have a telephone until we didn't have a landline and. Um, minimal television because it usually didn't work and so I was really kind of just when I wasn't at school I was outside I I loved being outdoors and roaming around uh, on my own climbing trees and I don't know collecting bugs and it was that and then I had a I was I was always very happy at my school with my group of friends, and and I did spend time also with my father, um, tagging along on his archaeological expeditions. Oh, that's cool. That sounds like it'd be fun. It was, yeah. But isn't it funny how you know we were just left to our devices? Because I think we're pretty much the same age. And growing up, there wasn't a lot to do. Like you just had to be creative, or like you know imaginative or something yeah. you know what I mean like I, we were outside all the time yeah all the time and now I feel like everyone's inside all the time because you got it's all this true. fun cool stuff but 
I feel like, because you mentioned you were happy. I feel like I was happy when I was out exploring and just being outside. And I wonder, I feel like a lot of kids these days aren't quite as happy. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I, I do think that just, you know, being bored is a good thing because oh, then yeah. it forces you to go out and do something. And for me, it just meant being outside all the time. I mean, the climate that I grew up in was excellent, so I could always be outside and yeah, um, and just messing around doing whatever, just wandering through the fields to find rocks and mud and stuff. Right. I have yeah. to ask... Um, how did you take to the sun? Because you don't look like you necessarily <laughs> might be the kind of person who could be out for eight hours a day uh, right. and, not, and not catch a little bit of a burn. <laughs> yeah, I got some pretty bad sunburns, I must say, and it's, uh, I'm paying the price for it now. But um, I mean, you know, I tried to wear a hat and Big sunblock. Hat, yeah. But when you're, when you're little, you're not thinking oh, you about that. Yeah, you don't care. And, you know, my mother probably tried, but... Who knows? I got a lot of very bad sunburns. Oh, man. I, yeah. It, well, I'm sure it was really hot climate, right? Um, it's not, you know, it's like, it's never like what we have today in New Jersey, this like uh, oppressive, humid heat. It, oh, the swamp? It, no, we didn't have that. It's, it could get very, it can get very hot and does in um, April and May, but then there's rain in the summer and it cools down. So it's actually, usually you know in the 70s in the summer and then down the 50s at night in the summer and and it's it's hot but it's also dry so it's it's a very comfortable climate yeah it's bearable right yeah like that you always hear the dry heat thing but yeah this humidity that we get boy jersey is you know in new york it can get really bad yeah yeah this reminds me more of the coast of oaxaca than of the city yeah right yeah i remember Mm -hmm. one time speaking of the sunburn thing i got my parents must have let me go out to the beach probably like myrtle beach or something for hours and hours and i was so sunburned that i'm sure i had sun poisoning like i felt sick to my stomach i couldn't budge yeah and like that's okay so like back then you have fun you're left to your devices but it's a give and take because i feel like nowadays parents are a little more responsible with that stuff (laughs) just let me go out there and like burn to a crisp all day long and they were probably none the wiser like "Ah, that's fine they'll get over it i guess it toughens you up a little bit i guess but yeah anyway what about music did you uh was music part of the childhood i mean there's such great you know indigenous music down there that I would be excited to hear, I'm sure, as a kid. But I don't know if it was something that was in your house growing up, or was it important? Yes, there was, because my mother's a pianist, and that was her training. So oh, there you she, go. Yeah. She <laughs> That'll do did it. You, did you know that before you asked? No. I didn't, but, no. Yeah. That's, uh, so she she was always playing the piano, and I, and I, you know, it was just part of the environment, that, that sound. And... She also, well, now she has an institute that's uh, dedicated to restoring Baroque organs in churches all over the state of Oaxaca. So wow. that's a really interesting project. Um, these, church, these organs are, they were built in um, colonial uh, times, and so they're, they're, they're kind of these relics that... It, those organs in Spain were actually upgraded, but in Oaxaca they were built and they weren't upgraded. So now they kind of exist as this, these objects, these instruments that um, that don't really exist anywhere else. And and so they're, 
uh, that institute that she has, they restore those. And also I've been teaching people in the villages to, to play the instruments. So the, now cool. the, yeah, the music is in the churches again. And, um, but yes, I did grow up with, with that. And I myself do not know how to play an instrument. Um, I've tried. I tried a little bit recently, actually, because my son was taking piano and I wanted to help him. But I don't know how to play, really. I'm dedicated to painting. Did you now, was uh, the piano the only instrument you really gave a good go at? Yeah. Okay, piano, because I feel like, I mean, I play a lot of instruments. Uh-huh. And piano for me was always really tough. Yeah. I don't know. There's something like I can play drums, but the right hand, left hand thing, it's not, it doesn't come easy. Yeah. Whereas guitar, it's like you're not playing chords with both or something. Like one's percussive, one is, I don't know. Like, you, have you ever picked up a guitar? Maybe you should pick one up. No, I, I mean, my father actually knows how to play. He had a bluegrass band when he was young and played a bunch of like harmonica and was singing and played oh, the that's cool. <laughs> mandolin and stuff. But I no, I don't know. And I, I think I took some violin classes as a child. Well, I do remember that, but I, I, I just couldn't, I, I, I did not connect. I could not really connect to it. Well, you got an appreciation for it, I imagine. An yes, yes, sure. Yes, I, I do. And, and, uh, but I do uh, sometimes wish now as an adult that I could, you know, when I think about abstraction in art, of course, I think about music and yeah. and I think about languages, having studied languages, but that being a language that I can't, I can't understand or um, participate in. Well, um, just a one follow up. Was she a classical pianist? Yes. Or was she, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But did she enjoy other stuff? That, like was jazz or like well, bluegrass is a big, you know, a thing to listen to <laughs> yeah no but no she I just, I remember she played um and this is a long time ago when she was younger and I must have been very very small I think she played some Bob Dylan and but no it was really I grew up listening only to classical pretty yeah. much yeah is that still something you love today do you listen to a lot of classical or do you listen to a lot of music nowadays I listen to a lot of music and I I like a lot of different things, but both of my children study classical piano, so now I get to hear it in, in them practicing. God, so that's it's, so interesting. It skipped it, me. <laughs> that's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but it's nice to hear it in the house. It reminds me of being yeah. a kid, you know, having it from my mom, now I have it from my kids. Right, it's almost like you, the piano said to you, like, no, don't worry about it. Everyone else will take care of it for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You it's always paint. there. It's always you can, there. You can paint and then the music will just surround you. Yes, that's right. That's pretty cool. And yeah. are, are your kids, like, so did that just happen because a piano was around or did they, like, how did they find it or? Um, it was my mother actually who said, ah, of okay. course, of course the kids have to study piano. So I got it. Yeah. It's and a they, great thing to yeah, study, yeah, you know. and they didn't, you know. I, I rebelled when my mother tried to teach me. I, I was not, uh, I didn't have the patience, and I, and I, I would get up and run out the door and go climb a tree or something. But my kids, you know, they, they don't. It's, it's when it skips a generation and it's your grandmother asking. It's different. So oh, totally. So they yeah. said yes. They don't want to do anything we say. But if yeah. grandma asks or, you know, grandpa says it, it's fine, you know. That's right. That's, I guess, what they earned. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and what we earned as kids. 
for putting, yes. putting our parents through crap. So that's right. You know, maybe one day we'll have that to look forward to. Yeah. Um, all right. So you're growing up. You got music in the house. You're not playing piano necessarily. When mm-hmm. did you start drawing? I would make a lot of drawings, but mostly um, I would draw plants because I just always had this interest and love of the botanical world and the natural world. So I would make a lot of drawings of plants, but I considered them scientific. And I think that's because, you know, uh, my father also, he always approached his work as a scientist and not, you know, I didn't, I wasn't really surrounded by an aesthetic language at, at home. Right. And, um, and so I really wasn't ever thinking of myself and what I was doing as art or artistic. I was thinking that about these drawings as a record of what I was looking at and, and something more like, uh, yeah, a scientific, um, rendering and and I did that even very young so I have those notebooks still and I didn't take my first uh, academic art class until I was a sophomore in college oh wow and that was I had no no sense up until then that I would be an artist and it was, um, I was at Oberlin College. I was studying all kinds of different things. And um, I heard, you know, of, of course, somebody said that the Allen Memorial Art Museum at Oberlin is wonderful. You have to go see it. I went, I went there and, and the collection for this small uh, museum in a, in a small college is extraordinary. And I was so intrigued and... Um, that, and then I thought, oh, well, I should sign up for some art classes here in this art department. And that was when I took my first drawing class and my first art history class. And, of course, then that got me where I am now. But yeah, it's, yeah. it was really the first time I was thinking about any of this. Yeah, it, it's funny, though, with those early drawings. It sounded like you got an early start to a research-based creativity process you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like thinking of it as like research or investigation yeah and uh, I think about that in terms of what I do now because so many times I just paint or draw what's in front of me just as sometimes as an exercise but really because that's what I do I just look around at what's immediate and what's right in front of me and that's what I will paint and draw and um, and, and when I'm doing that now, I think I'm doing it so that I can understand what I'm looking at. A lot of times it's by painting it and drawing it, you get to know it. And that's really what I was also doing, I think, as a kid. It was just you get to know something by really looking at it and studying it. Which essentially is just the metaphor, the larger metaphor of art of just trying to understand the world around you, really. By exactly. Exactly. That's but right. that was a kind of like a zoomed in literal way of it's like when you do a portrait of someone, if you ever like look and draw them yeah. after you're done, you'll never see that person the same again because you're like, oh, that little part there. Like you really understand, you know, their face and yeah. like the, the idiosyncrasies of like all of their 
what makes them up. So you were doing that from a young age. Uh, now, when you, you caught the bug in school, Oberlin is a pretty good music school too, no? Well, that's been lar- the, one of the uh, reasons I was there, actually. I think, uh, you know, my mother really wanted me to be near the music school, even though I couldn't play an instrument. And I think, you know, she was probably wishing that it was, uh, she could have been there at that time. But um, I, yes, they have an incredible conservatory which I, you know, I, I, I could go to the concerts and, and be near, but I, I wasn't studying any of their classes. Right. So did you have some, uh, some pretty great teachers there, or did you feel inspired? I mean, obviously you were inspired to move on and keep studying. Yes, I, I, I was very, you know, I, I got turned on to art there, and that's, <clears throat> and, but I, when I graduated from, Oberlin that I had like I mentioned before I had been at a boarding school for high school and so yeah. it meant that I I had spent eight years kind of in a dorm and academic environment and I was so burned out um, when I graduated from from Oberlin that I, I I said I am never going back to school again I mean I I was really I'm I'm gonna do everything else on my own and uh Never say never, because I did end up going to graduate school um, when I was 38 years old, and and that was that's a whole other story. But I, I, um, I felt like um, at Oberlin, the the contemporary art that was in this uh, Allen Memorial Art Museum was really special. You know, they had the Irwin and Hesse and Devenkorn's Agnes Martin and Carl Andre and it's, so it just was um, I, I it's just I could walk by these pieces every day I could look at them anytime and that was that was important yeah, yeah. so well how did you did you, so you went straight from where you grew up the town where you grew up to Oberlin um, well, first I went to this boarding school in Austin, Texas, and oh, then I went to Texas. Oberlin. Yeah. Oh, for some reason I thought that was still back home. No, in Texas. Oh, okay. So that was sort of like a stepping stone. Because I was yeah. going to say that would be a pretty big shift. Yeah. Right? And then yeah. like I can imagine like when you went to the boarding school, was it culture shock in a way? Huge. Because, I mean, I'm sure everyone was like, wait, you're... you." Did you speak English at that point too? I did. Well, you did yeah, because your parents spoke to you in yeah, English. Yeah, yeah. It was right. a huge culture shock. I bet you had fun though here and there breaking out perfect Spanish though, <laughs> and people were just like, "Wait a minute, what the?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole thing was. I, I don't know. Sometimes I look back and I think, "How did I do? How did I do it?" It was. It was very. It was hard. It was. I'm difficult. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, it, was it was it good to get to? I mean, so after you get out of school, you take time off. What was the plan? Were you thinking, oh, I want to make my work? Or was it, I just need to get out of school and find a gig of some sort? I asked people when I graduated from Oberlin, where, you know, are all the artists in New York? That's what, that's what everyone says. Is it true all the artists in New York? <laughs> yes. So I moved to New York. Yeah. And then I, yeah, I was subletting an apartment um, on... Uh, 23rd Street for a month, and then I asked the people in the department, I said, where, where do the artists live here? And they said, oh, they all live in Williamsburg across the water. And I said, okay. So I went to Williamsburg and uh, got rented a loft there and started painting. And, it, and But after, um, I think I was only there for about 
two, three years max because I felt uh, that I was not really getting a chance to enjoy. I wasn't seeing art in New York. I was at a job during the day. Um, I was working as a translator for a company and then I'd go back uh, at night to Williamsburg and paint at night. And, and I was just started to wonder after a while why I needed to be in New York if that was kind of the pace and uh, if I wasn't getting um, really a chance to see the galleries, see the museums and absorb everything that, the, that New York was offering, then I didn't think that I had to be doing what I was doing here or, you know, yeah. right there. So I ended up moving back to Mexico and I decided that I would rather um, be in a place where I could really, really spend my time painting. I needed to find a way where I could just paint. And, and I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't do that in, in New York. There, there was too much, I don't know, it was just too overwhelming. And so as, as uh, I remembered that decision and telling my friends in Brooklyn that I was going to go home. And I went back to Oaxaca and um, I approached the gallery in Oaxaca and asked uh, them to look at my work and could we work together. And they, they supported me right away and I still work with them. And wow. uh, that, was, that was really what made it possible for me to begin a life of only art making, which I recognize as an incredibly lucky thing. Right. Um, and, but I needed to find a way to do that. I knew that that's what I wanted, and I was going to figure out how to do that. So I, 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 I was just dedicated to that and working pretty much all the time on my paintings down there and had my first show with the gallery um, that I mentioned. And, and then it just has continued from there. Well, th that's so interesting. I mean, that, that definitely demonstrates there is no one way to do something, right? Like that's, there's many different paths. And for you, it was yeah. like going home with, for a lot of people going home is like, there's so much less eyes, really. I mean, it depends yeah. on where you're from, I guess. But moving from New York to, quote unquote, back home can be yeah. just like where where you go to no one sees your work. So it's so great that you were able to f find a gallery and experience that. What years were you in Williamsburg? 96, um, 97, and I, and I think I left like sometime in 98. Oh, so you left right when I got there. Oh. And it was it was a little Wild Westy back then. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't quite the uh, same vibe it is today. Yeah. No, what, was, where did you, did you have a studio where you lived? Yeah, on the corner of um, Metropolitan and Wythe. Oh, wow. <laughs> You've seen that building now, right? I haven't been there in a, in a while, but I probably wouldn't even recognize it. Oh, it's a big old condo, luxury condo. <laughs> but yeah, I was down in the Gretsch building, which was down in, right by the Williamsburg Bridge. Uh -huh. moved in, which, yeah. And a huge loft for like next to nothing. Yeah, yeah. Which, not so much anymore. So, sure. 
Well, so you go down there, you get this good situation, you get a gallery that's supportive of you, you've got the time and space to make the work, you've got a little less pressure than you had. So what, I mean, why, how does grad school under this situation? Yeah, that's, that's right. So uh, after about three years of being <clears throat> back home in Oaxaca and working, I, I started to feel um, isolated and that I, that, and, and, and Oaxaca then really was just at a turning point where people were starting to move there more from Mexico City or from abroad, but really it was still uh, certainly not what it is today. Um, and I felt, I felt isolated. I felt like I wanted to know what other people were doing. And, and that was what would go through my mind was, uh, I wonder what an artist in you know such and such a city thinks about. And I kept wondering, what does an artist think about if they live in um, Berlin or Italy or Los Angeles and, or Thailand? And it was just kind of this thing where I, I, I thought, well, I, I should go out and try to f find out. And I asked a friend of mine what, who lives in the United States what I could do about that. And he said, oh, you should go to the Chinati Foundation and do a residency there. And um, I thought, well, but the Chinati Foundation is in the middle of the desert. I, why would I go there to, to, to know what people are doing in the world? And he said, no, you should do that. And I did. And um, it was a great thing because I, in fact, did meet many artists who I'm in touch with now. And... Um, and it, and it was an incredible education to be there, and it, I was exposed to, um, you know, something that I, that was so as you know, with Chinati, so un, unusual um, with Donald Judd's work and vision. So that was my, that was when I first um, left Oaxaca, and then I subsequently moved to Los Angeles, the, um, to Montreal, and then I was back in Oaxaca this time around with a family and um doing you just, my you just picked one of those up on your travels <laughs> picked came up. back with a family yeah <laughs> we just snagged one up in montreal, montreal. were they french <laughs> well i i met my husband at the chinati foundation oh, then nice. i met i moved to, Mo to los angeles and my uh, daughter was born there and then i moved to montreal and my son was born there and then we moved back to all uh, back to oaxaca and the and in a way that what took me back to oaxaca that time again was that i couldn't do my work with the family with the kids with um and I needed, to, again, Oaxaca being a place where I knew I could just be and paint. And, um, and, and kind of a repetition happened where I had been there working, uh, happily doing a lot of different projects with, with my painting, but also printmakers and weavers. I was, I was um, very prolific and very engaged with um, this time around, Oaxaca had grown a lot. There are a lot of uh, artists that, that were working there, both Oaxacan and, and, and from out of town, and just felt really dynamic and fun. But after a while, what, what started to happen, I, I would say this time that took me out of Oaxaca, was a feeling that I, I was missing um, language. That was a big part of it, that I 
didn't, I couldn't really articulate what was happening in my work, and that there, and I had a lot of frustration around that, and I mean a lot of frustration around that because I would, I, I would. I could read, you know, I could read a text about art, but it wasn't helping me find the language to talk about my own work. And that was one big uh, sort of a, a frustration, but something that, that I that I felt like I needed to learn somehow. Yeah. And the the other the other thing was that my I I was making paintings at a time that felt very. Um, I was I was very engaged with my work and and really excited about it. But then, I I started to reach a point where I felt like I really knew what I was doing a little bit too well, right. and that I was making paintings that felt I just I just knew the steps too well, and and suddenly I started to feel like a disconnect from what I was making and what I was feeling. And that was somehow alarming to me, that I couldn't, that the work was not reflecting like my experience, inner experience somehow. So the combination of that and feeling like I couldn't really talk about the work, I thought, how do I do something about this and change this? And I decided to apply to graduate school. And I thought that would be that I could go learn. And yeah. um, so I went to Bard College, which has this three consecutive summers um, MFA program. And that certainly took care of <laughs> any, any of these issues because all we did is sit around and talk about art. I mean, it was, there's so much language at, at, at Bard, not just me talking about another student's work, but then talking about my work, but then the faculty meetings, and it's just constant, constant conversation and language. And all of that opened up for me there. And I could really, I realized that with language, the new concepts about painting came along, and it completely changed my work. So it all shifted in graduate school, but for whatever reason, I needed to do that much later. So I was uh, a bit older than a lot of my um, fellow classmates, but it was just the, the, time, the right time for me to go there. It sounds like you, you have a really great ability to listen to yourself and what's needed of yourself, of your work, and you... It, seems that you don't I don't there's a lot of pressure you know how it is with it, with an art career like following a path as an artist there's all this external especially I think our generation there's this external like you have to do this like you have to go to college and get a BFA and then you have to go get an MFA and then mm -hmm. you have to move to New York and stay there and just take the beating until something happens mm -hmm. or move to LA and you know what I mean I, mm -hmm. I feel like that was such a the thing that you heard you didn't hear a lot of like you know, go back home for a little while, then move over here and then get yourself into a residency that will sort of, it just sounded like you made every right decision that what was needed for your work and for you at that time, which is, seems really great to well, be thank able to you. do that. Well, yeah, so many times at the end, that, in that moment, it might 
you know, I, I and sometimes I was really following a, a calling or a question or a need, but um, it's been harder for me to try to piece it all together, but then you look back and it all starts to make sense somehow. Yeah. And um, it's and all of these experiences are what has have brought me to where I am and and but especially in the work you know I see in the painting that all of these uh, seeming because there's a lot all these moves also have created a lot of rupture and that's difficult um, a, a lot of people these days move a lot and we all know how hard it is just to to first of all to pick up and move home but then your studio and and so a lot of uh, there's been a lot of disruption in my life because of that. But those disruptions are also always opportunities to start something new, yeah. and to start something fresh. And at times I've, you know, thought, oh, well, how does this all fit together? You know, but th- but then with time, now I start to see I start to see how they do all fit under kind of like a larger umbrella of experience. Yeah, it's like when you're making those decisions based on like your gut feeling of like, this is what I need right now. It, it might seem like risky or sporadic or, or a little disjointed. But then like you're saying, when you look back, it just makes sense. And like, yeah, this is where I got to. Where I think if you follow someone else, the, like the predictive path, you can say, oh, this is what you're supposed to do the whole time. And then when you get to where you are, you look back and you're like, what the hell was I doing that whole time? Right. Because <laughs> it wasn't based on necessarily what you wanted to do. It was based on what you right. thought was expected to be able to achieve. Mm. You know what I mean? So mm. there's a real strength in, in what I think the way that you've done what you did. And it's 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 I think it's a good thing for young artists to hear that sort of thing, too. You know, good. Um, I hope so. Was did the uh, the shot of John Wesley come during the Chinati Foundation? Yeah, yeah. Isn't it weird <laughs> that he was like buddies with him and like he was involved in that? Because so like work amazing. wise, it makes visually it makes no sense. I know, I know. It's, <laughs> it's so cool. Uh, it is so cool. And when I was uh, when I was there for the residency, um, I'd never. I mean, I'd never heard of John Wesley, and it was. I could make sense of of everything else. Except for Wesley, his presence there, <laughs> and that is great because it adds also dimension, you know, dimension to Judd and to his yeah. vision. And um, now there, now the Wesley building exists with his uh, that permanent installation. But when I was there for the my residency, it, it hadn't been built yet. But um, he, it's, you know, it's funny sometimes when there's something you can't figure out and you don't understand and you keep coming back and it doesn't make sense or you don't like it or whatever it is that there's something there and and I did like Wesley but I couldn't make any sense of what was what his place there and and he um like I was telling you before we started the interview he's been um I think his presence is is there in my work now yeah. The work that's at, in the show at, at minus space with these flat uh, figures that are have a black outline, and um, I I love I mean I love his work. I, there's of course I think his work is also really problematic. There's some very problematic images in there, but I oh it's super creepy. And, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of issues there. Yeah, but it, but certainly the formal aspect of it, the repetition, the the and just the weirdness. I mean, it, it's really such strange stuff. So. 
Yeah, and that I think is a good transition because when looking at your work from the stuff like a little from a little while back to like what you're working on now, it feels like on a quick read that there's a huge there's like some huge gaps in the way that you're making. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what you were doing in school maybe in the way that you're painting and how that's changed up until like your current work? What do you mean with the gaps just the shifts in style? Yeah, and well not just style but also just the formal ways that you're painting. Like the physical yeah. way that you're painting seems like it's gone through a lot of different changes, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, that's one of the key <clears throat> issues that I I've been uh, that I think about now um, because I I when I first started um, making like my sort of my, the first coherent bodies of work in my twenties and then in my early thirties, it looked like one body of work was kind of negating the previous body of work because it was so different. And that wasn't my intention. I wasn't trying to, it wasn't, it, it's not that I wanted to kind of pro, be provocative and like say, now I'm going to do the opposite or something. First, I'm going to do geometric abstraction and now I'm going to do, you know, this gestural um, huge gestural uh, abstraction and to just to, it wasn't it wasn't um, intentional that way it's what I really just wanted to do and and I was I, I, I was having a very hard time exp explaining that um, why I was doing that and now I've I've made enough work where something that I did, you know, 10 years ago starts to reemerge and it makes sense that it was there because it's, it comes back, you know. So right. over time, what looked like these completely, um, you know, broken up or different different styles then can, can reemerge and, and make sense and kind of tie everything together. But so, yeah, I mean, right now I'm doing two different things mostly I mean I'm doing several different things always at a time like huge like art multitasking but but I say, I could I can say that I'm doing some very physical paintings on unstretched um, canvas linen and they are large kind of mural works and those are really just about like a very physical painting uh, and very distressed uh, I'll paint outside um, on my driveway in fact I refer to them as my driveway paintings because I'll just and I'll use a, I'll use a lot of material and I think of these paintings as just about material and tools and so because I'll I'll uh, use I'll pour the paint uh, with solvents I will scrape the paintings and I'll put them on the wall and use the big oil sticks and rollers and, and my hands and it just becomes like all this mark making and so often it's about just the mark that either my hands or the tools make just the brush mark the roller mark and these paintings are just like these giant skins because they're unstretched that I that are very distressed and very kind of like used and, and there's something about painting that way that, that's super physical 
that I, I enjoy. And it's very different. And then I'll go to, to the studio and work on these stretched canvases where I will make an image. And it's so different, you know, well, with, the, with, the, with my brushes and, the, and um, the intention will be to make a, a, an image or a narrative. And there's, there's, uh, it's, there's sketches sometimes that are like, you know, prep work. And, and so it's a completely different way of painting. And, and I'll just go back and forth between the two. Or, or even other kinds of work and um, working on textiles or prints and 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 it just all feels completely fine to me to do that and to to just um, I don't I don't have to choose one way to paint I think of painting as this a space that I can be in that's a very big space and that where everything is available to me to use. So I can, I'm, uh, my painting space that I live in, uh, you know, it's like metaphorically, is just this, everything's available, art historically, material-wise, and I can just be in that and take, pick and choose whatever from there I need for my work without having to define it and say, I make this kind of work. It is a little bit hard to explain, you know, when somebody says, well, what do you do? <laughs> but um, but that's, that's how I think about it. And I'm not, and, and that was harder for me to sort of come to terms with maybe um, before when I, years ago when I, w I had like only two or three bodies of work, but now I've just made so much different kinds of work and it just all feels fine and makes sense to me somehow you know yeah yeah so to a couple questions one is does the location help that it sounds like you're splitting them between the driveway and the studio as far as like the separation of like the physical yes process? yeah I think it does very much mm -hmm. and I'm sure it's entertaining for the neighbors to watch the driveway <laughs> yeah well, yeah, I um, I've thought about that, but you As know, you're everybody's blasting a piece of canvas in the driveway and like, what the hell is going on? Next well, door? they're very polite, but the little girl neighbors, they're like, she's like painting walking. again, yeah. <laughs> and then the uh, the other question I had was, when you're showing it, because obviously there's a huge difference in you know where you have a show with like say one kind of work, like the more narrative sort of you know. A representational stuff and then mm -hmm. like a more physical abstraction stuff in a separate show do you like showing them together or do you like keeping is it like church and state oh yes. i've always wanted to do a show i hope i do someday where it's all together yeah, yeah. but it's but, so far it's been you split it it's been it's been uh, you know very uh, tight and compartmentalized in the exhibitions so far. But I I do hope someday I can do a show where it's just all together. together. Yeah. That retrospective is. Great. I would love I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know I couldn't help I mean, I, I just thought of Gerhard Richter for a second because you know he does like sort of like these giant massive abstractions. Oh and yeah. Also does yeah, very yeah. Representational painting, and I haven't seen. I don't think I've ever seen a Gerhard Richter show in earnest. I think I've just seen pieces in museums. Yeah, well, there was that show that was canceled, right? Just right. The, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't. I mean, does he historically show those things together, or there's like people who know, or like, dude, you don't know this? 
but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if those are normally seen together, or if, and and because you know it takes on such a different context when you merge those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean the fact that this exhibition was canceled is such a was such a disappointment, right? I mean, I, I yeah. don't know. It was open for a week, maybe. I'm not. I can't remember, but that would have answered our question right there. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. We're gonna get a art historian on the line. Hold on, I'm gonna patch someone in right. Now. Right. <laughs> no, but it it would be like you know, there's a lot of musicians who have like different projects. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So you could have like someone like uh, David Byrne who does a sort of you know, he'll do something that's like an acoustic thing that's very Brazilian inspired, and then he'll do like a Talking Heads or like a more rock and roll thing. And usually those things are split and he's not having a show where he's just merging all these different ways of like playing songs in one show. Cause that would feel a lot different. Yeah. There's no rules one way or another. It's just, I guess it's an interesting way to think about the interpretation of the work, but these serial paintings that you're doing are, I, I just, I absolutely, a, I think I'm just, I love works that get repetitive. You know what I mean? Like on is one of my favorite artists. I love oh, like, yeah. Yeah. I love like a, a thing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and when you have an image like that that is very close formally, but then there's one thing that she keeps changing in it. I think also, too, because I do animation, I love the sort mm-hmm. of cell animation feel of things like that. But yeah, I mean, that work is so cool. Like the, the, the way it's just the skies changing in each one. Right. Because it really, it, the figure is always there. You're always in the room. You're always c- considering this form. But then since the background's changing in each one, it becomes, I don't know, it heightens that change so much in a, in a different way. I know it's really compelling. No, oh, thank you. And I, and thank you for mentioning Onkawara because I thought about his work when um, I'm painting the sky in those paintings out of yeah. my, my studio window. It's the, I have a third floor studio, so I had a very good view of, of the sky. And... And as I was painting them, I, I also was making a lot of sketches of sky on, on paper. But I had that thought of, of his work that it was kind of just a, would I, would I make something like that where it's, this is today, this is this guy today, and this is this guy. And I, and, and it, I wondered if I should even be um, using the actual date that I had painted them as part of the title. But then I decided not because the rest of the painting was took so long and was so yeah. involved with mixing colors and but it but but there was something about that um, um, the that moment, that marker that was really important with the sky and that it was of just that day. And then to combine that with uh, the repetition and the seriality, and 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 that is something that I've that I hadn't done in a while, but that I have done in the past, um, not just with printmaking, um, but also uh, some very early uh, bodies of work were were really focused just like this. So that that felt like a good return somehow to me. Yeah, yeah. A, a good, a, a great mentor and friend of mine, Byron Kim, has done these sky paintings over mm-hmm. time where he dates and writes like text about what's happening that day on them. Yeah, but it's just yeah. a little square of the sky. So beautiful. Oh. And there's something really, I think it's like the diaristic nature of it, you know, that there's just something really interesting about seeing someone's like slow experience of something. Yeah. I think those are, whether you date them or not, those are in those paintings. Oh, good. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, thank you. Yeah, the thing is though, it it 
it's interesting too because the mer- like what we were talking about of the merging of different ways of making mm-hmm. you know what i mean those i think when you deal with someone like him as like a conceptual artist it's so clear it's like well this is the idea the idea is changing for this body of work so now mm-hmm. we paint like this you know mm-hmm. what I mean? and then the concept it's almost like the concept is dictating the sort of formal way that it's being made but it's it's really interesting in your work because i feel like it's not necessarily that's not the headline necessarily Mm -hmm. the headline is just the image and what that is and it's not being it doesn't feel like it's being directed you Mm -hmm. know what i mean Mm -hmm. just feels like expression in different ways oh great thank you good sure yeah, and that and that also goes back to what we said um, earlier in the conversation about just painting something to know it. And for me, um, a lot of that painting, the sky was uh, here, was about just being in this new place in New Jersey and not really trying to find my bearings. And and so painting that sky was really about locating myself in this place, this new place that I live in. Yeah. Um, and then the, the figure was a, a development. It came separately through a different development where I had been painting um, gymnasts and um, very elastic figures and, and started to really abstract those figures. And the, the um, architecture, the very simple architecture in those paintings was a separate development that came from actually painting my dining room table and painting... Um, my chairs, the perpendicular, and and anyway, so the, um, they all th- there's kind of three elements in those paintings that that I that I arrived at separately and then put them together in in that work, and that I don't know if I've really done that so much before, but that was interesting to me as like a uh, cr- you know when you crunch all these things together, make it work in one image. And um, and how you impose all these things, to, you know, on on each other somehow. Yeah, just jamming them in there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So clearly, your travels in your life into different locations and stuff has had obviously an impact on the way you see things and your environment. Um, are you well? Obviously, not in the last year and a half or what. But have are you a big traveler? Do you love traveling all over to different places? Or did you max your travel credit card in life? With the <laughs> <movie>? <laughs> I kind of did. I, I, I traveled a lot when I was younger and, and loved it and was really just a fearless traveler. Um, a lot of it in Europe, but also in North Africa. And, and, um, and I kind of, I think I maxed it out. I just don't, I, I I'm... I want to paint. I want to. I'm. I have a family. Yeah. I have a family, and right. but I also just really want to do my work. And it's um, it's not the same anymore. I mean, I, I might I might get that again later and want to do a lot of traveling again at some point in the future. But it's not. It's much more. Uh, you know, it's just not the same anymore I, I really what I really want to do is go to the studio and do my work I hear you I hear you I I, I think travel can be such an inspiration you know but it is a lot you know yeah it's it's an effort um yeah. w- can two questions one is 
in Europe, where is your favorite place to go? Like, what's your favorite spot? And B, conversely, what is your favorite sort of art spot? Like, the place where you go to see the work that you love the most? <laughs> Those are really hard questions. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think the last time I was in Europe, I was in Madrid, and it was right before the pandemic hit. And I was at the Prado Museum, and yeah. it's just heaven, you know, to see the Velázquez and Goya and Greco rooms. Unbelievable. So that was um, kind of the most recent exciting um, art travel I did. And yeah. I, I would go back in a second just to spend time at that museum. And I would love the whole city in general, but the, the museum is so extraordinary. And... Um, and the second question, you mean art spot? Does that did I just kill two birds in one stone? Maybe I mean, is yeah. that also you love the city of Madrid? Like it's. A st- I do. Lo- I do love it. Yeah, and um, but I'm. I, I, that I, works. I, yeah. You can go, okay. You can go. All chips are on the table for Madrid. You know what's <laughs> embarrassing? I've never been to Madrid, but yeah. I've been to Barcelona. So and yeah. I love Barcelona. But my favorite painting of all time is Guernica. So oh, I really yeah. want to go yes. see that painting. I will. I, absolutely. That. Absolutely. Yes. It is so magnificent. And I never, ever, ever get tired of looking at Picasso. Ever. Well, this last time I was in Barcelona, it was right before the pandemic too, like the Thanksgiving before. And, um, you know, went to the Picasso Museum there. Oh, And they yeah. have the Las Minas. Uh-huh. The Meninas. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. It was, it's amazing. It's yeah. like a mind blower. Yeah. That's, yeah. It, there's so much great work. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 exciting to be in Europe, but um we have some amazing things here and now I have to go up and see that Medici show at the Met. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's not too far from you. Right. I've right. always been a big fan of Bronzino actually, and when I saw that he's um you know, of course in this show I was very excited, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh the uh do you like Barcelona though? Uh, Barcelona, I've been, been, I was there a very long time ago and loved it, absolutely loved it, yes, yeah, also. And, and Yeah, and I like, um, I spent time in Italy when I was, I studied a semester there, and that was important for me. I, I studied in Florence, but then traveled a lot all around um, the country and, and spent time in Rome and um, also down in, in the south. And, and it was really important for me to see all that work because... I had, um, at Oberlin, I didn't really get a super, like, formal academic training. And I think because I came to studying art so late, I, I wasn't arriving at art with a big, uh, when I first started taking my drawing classes, I hadn't been taking classes for years. You know, it's like some people want, know they want to be an artist since they're like seven years old and start early. They have such a great advantage, but I didn't have that. So... I went to Italy and I was trying to catch up a little bit and I took some very formal um, academic classes there, still life painting and such, and that was very good um, and helpful. And um, yeah, so I remember I remember my time there as, as very, uh, also, also because the work I grew up seeing in Oaxaca, and Oaxaca has a very active painting scene and always did, um, 
um, it's known for 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 being a painting city, and um, like Rufino Tamayo is from Oaxaca. So I, but the kind of work that um, that is made in Oaxaca is, is um, there's a different sense of uh, generally of composition. I feel and and it was. It, it was interesting and important for me to kind of go back, go to Europe and go to Italy and study there and see this very, um, you know, like perspectival way of painting and yeah. and see it and learn it. And then, you know, not necessarily use it, but just just to learn it. And because it's not what I had grown up seeing in Oaxaca and it's not something that I really learned to do very much Um until I was there looking at Masaccio and really studying, um, you know, looking at the Fra Angelicos and et cetera. So that, that was an important part of my education, I feel. Yeah, there's, a, you know, the, the quote-unquote, like, formal education of things can be valuable or whatever, but just going and seeing stuff is such an yeah. education. Yeah. It's like, a, you know, if you're a, uh, uh, say, like a jazz musician or something, yeah. you know, you, if you just listen or go see a lot of classical performances, you're not going to start writing classical music, but you kind of unconsciously learn about, you know, dynamics and tone and, and the space in the song and all sorts of stuff just by hearing that, you know, without yeah. having to sit in a classroom and take notes. Absolutely. So that stuff, like go, dipping your toes into Italy for a semester is like, you know, it's like Mecca for art. Absolutely. You just go see, get blown away by all that stuff. Yeah, it was really important. Yes, and and uh, and I I I recognize that that it was it was um, eye opening to to not, to not just be learning it but to be looking at the at the original pieces. Yeah, I like to go see great work just so I can say, well, I'm not doing that. I can't do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that one. No, I can't get there, but it looks great. <laughs> it's good to know where your limitations are. It's like, all right, he knocked the ball out of the park on that one. She's amazing. I'm not yeah. doing that painting. So, you know, yeah. it puts it all in perspective for you. Yeah, good. <laughs> I hear you. But, uh, yeah, so, it. I mean, do you now, like where you are are you missing mexico a little bit or do you feel like you've you've dropped anchor no i always miss mexico always yeah i just i feel i it's it's home even though i've um you know lived adult life away a lot but it's it's always feels like home i can't i've lived in so many different places and i've never that i've never been able to really like you said drop anchor somewhere else i think it's just so many moves and then i go back there and that's still what's most familiar and and the familiarity is a lot kind of related to um like sensory just the feeling of the weather and the smells of the plants and things like this are really just tap into like really early formative experience. And that's what I, that's what I miss. Yeah. I, I get, when I go back to Pittsburgh, I feel like, yeah, this is my hometown and I, I I feel comfortable geographically there, Mm -hmm. but I'm not, I'm not going back. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to go move back there. Are you living in Brooklyn? I am. I'm okay. Uh-huh. I'm in Brooklyn. And, and you know, I, I've i been here for over 20-some years. Oh, know, I, yeah, I yeah, feel, right. I feel pretty New Yorker-ish. At yeah, this point, sure. I still feel like I don't think I'm going to ride it out here. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. One day yeah. I'm going to go Someday. somewhere. Somewhere. 
Uh-huh. Maybe Japan would be nice. Yeah, I, but I've never been there. That would be amazing. Oh, I'm biased, but it's, I love it there. Yeah. Wow. Every time I come back, I'm like, wait, why? Why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so interesting bad. here. It's really interesting here. That's that's for sure. Oh, I know. I love it. Never I mean, a dull moment. Yeah. New York, you know, it's a love-hate relationship. With it, <laughs> you know what I mean? On a daily basis, on a commute-by-commute basis. So. Uh-huh. Oh, I love this restaurant. Oh, I hate these people in cars on the way to the restaurant. <laughs> it's, yeah. It gives you uh, energy in mm. life or taps it from you. So um, so do you want to talk a little bit about what you have going on now? Maybe what you're working on. I mean, I know you just finished this show, right? Or you just hung yeah. the show. So, um, yeah, maybe share with people sort of like what you're up to and where they can see your work and yeah, thank you. This the show at Minus Space is up through the end of the month, and it's open on Saturdays and by appointment. So that's and that it. Um, so that has been my my main focus. It was getting that work done over the last year and a half. But now I'm back to my driveway paintings, which are kind of they just happen s- slow and intermittently and. And um, and they're seasonal paintings because I can't do them here in the winter, yeah. so that's there's something fun about that too. Um, that, that I mean, they're just really fun in general to make because they're so you know just a giant kind of like material exploration. I just love it. It sounds so, sounds great to watch. Like maybe you should just mount a camera on your roof and then live stream it. So that's true. <laughs> maybe I will. Maybe I will because um I mean I paint with I paint with a hose, for example, and I did make uh, some videos of that. Like I'll just pour all the paint on it and then spray the garden hose all over the canvas and um, and uh, it's so much fun. So I, the, I'm making those paintings, nice. and that's that's what I'm focused on right now. I just recently finished a big project with some uh, weavers in Mexico, and um, so I might be uh, I'm looking towards the next project with them, and that's an interesting part of my um, work as well because it's collaborative, you know. So it's it's not. Um, it's very different from making the paintings, which is just me alone in the studio or here, you know, making a mess on the driveway. But it's, but the collaborative work is is, uh, it's just v- very different to involve somebody else in your work and to have their creativity and and decisions come into the work. So that's something else that I, I'm always doing, and um, yeah. So that and then I'm working towards a, a show in Mexico, which I'll know more about soon um and maybe i'll be showing some of these big paintings i don't know yet yeah um so that's what that's what's happening right now well i guess those shows do give you an excuse to go back to visit too as well. yeah it's been important for me to maintain uh, like an active professional life in mexico and not to just sort of pick up and and leave i it's it's just really important to me to to be involved with the art community in Oaxaca and um, to continue working with artisans there but also to with the gallery I spoke of earlier I mean I just I, it's, it's always been important for me to keep it um, not just a home where I visit you know family but but where I also have a professional life and and that that's just going to be something I want to maintain yeah and, and 
the food's got to be good there, right? <laughs> and there's very good food, yes. Oh. I miss that too. Yeah, I can imagine that's probably yeah. Yeah. maybe better than your local orange taco shop. <laughs> I don't know if there is one that I've, I haven't found one, but yeah. You're not seeking out the local Mexican uh, and <laughs> Not really, no. I. Uh, who knows? There might be a great great one over there maybe i have i haven't really looked but yeah <laughs> I, I make my own food at home but um. sounds good i'll be over in a couple hours <laughs> yeah. gotta, right okay <laughs> we can well. talk about that later yeah <laughs> yeah okay um, and then and like website social media yeah i have um my website is emmywinter.com and i have a instagram account which i'm sometimes sort of I, I haven't been too active on recently but also just my name and um and then the show at minus space they they like i said they'll be up for the rest of the month and that's what's happening right now any of the what happens in mexico i'll i'll you know probably put information about that up maybe in in a few months so, um, but it's still not, I still can't talk too much about that show. So we'll see. We'll see. Coming it's soon. not, it's not a hundred percent, um, solidified. Right. Last note. Such a nice name. What? You have such a nice name. Well, thank you so much. It, it's a real, and for a warm climate native, it's uh, perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Thanks so much. It was great to talk to you. You too, Brian. Thank you for inviting me to do this. I enjoyed it. You bet. Thank you. Division is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more by checking out the site, soundofvisionpodcast.com. Check out images on Instagram at soundofvisionpodcast. You can find out more about my work at brianalfred.net. And you can find more images at Alfred Studio on Instagram. Many thanks to Emmy. Make sure you check out her show at Minuspace. Check out her work online. Many thanks to Fulcrum Coffee Roasters for supplying me with the caffeine that I need to do this stuff. And uh, many thanks to Golden Artist Colors for their great sponsorship and continuing supplying me of paints to get work done in the studio. Many thanks to Michael Lovett. Check out his music at Nazca Lines, N-Z-C-A space Lines. And you can check him out also in his other band, Metronomy. Many thanks to Lullatone for the intro-outro music, as always. And many thanks to you for listening. If you can, stop by iTunes Leave a rating and review, it really helps. And spread the word, tell a friend who might be into hearing artists talk about their work. Thanks as always, and more great episodes coming up, so stay tuned.